Hey folks, and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and this is the only place you need to be to learn all you need to know about police recruitment, and increasingly now to discover more about what's going to help support your career once you're actually in the police service as a police officer. And so today's podcast is going to do just that. It's going to do both, actually. It's going to help those of you who are hoping to join the police and those of you who are already in service with that warren card or badge in your pocket. So I'm absolutely delighted in this podcast to be able to share a very, very special in-conversation webinar that I had with the Chief Constable of Merseyside Police, Andy Cook, QPM. For those of you who may be listening to this outside of the United Kingdom, QPM stands for Queen's Police Medal. It's an honour bestowed upon individuals who have done outstanding things for the police service. Andy actually talks about it in the webinar. So it's an amazing, amazing opportunity to speak to someone who's one of the most respected leaders within the British police service and probably actually respected beyond the United Kingdom as well. So stand by for the rest of this podcast. It's about an hour long. For those of you who aren't part of the Blue Light community, then please do join us. Uh, Go to uh, Facebook groups and search for Blue Light Police Recruitment, or you can also, if you're a serving officer, search for Blue Light In-Service Development Cadre. If you just put Blue Light Cadre, you'll probably find it better. So if you do have any problems about that, you can always email me at info at bluelightconsultancy.com, and I'll see what I can do to point you in the right direction. So stand by, folks. One hour of absolute gems from Andy Cook, the Chief Constable of Merseyside Police. I shall see you on the other side. So good evening, everyone. Uh, Welcome, welcome to another In Conversation with. And tonight I'm absolutely delighted to have, for the first time in 36 years, a conversation with my friend Andy Cook. And so it's great to have you on board, Andy. Um, Great to be here, Brendan. Yeah, super. Now, before we continue, uh, just to let you ever, everyone know that, uh, let's just see here, we've got a lot of participants already. Awesome. Uh, we've got a chat room. So please do feel free to ask any questions. And in case any of you are thinking, oh my goodness, they'll see me. No, 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 we can't see you. You can only see us. Uh, but you can ask any questions in the chat room. So fantastic to be here with you tonight, Andy. I'm just going to show you something, share something with you if I can. Uh, a little moment. Um, Look, look, there, there we are. Do you, do you remember that? I do, 1985 in Bruce, Brendan. Yeah, Bruce District uh, Training Centre, for those of you yeah. who... Uh, actually, a lot of people watching this were probably thinking I wasn't born then. Uh, but look at those two handsome chaps on the, the right-hand side there, eh? Those two Absolutely. Um, two so two best-looking men there, and I know that about it. I think so. I've, I've got to say, you know, very handsome in their uniform there. Um, <laughs> I can't find where, where's the stop-share thing. Let me see. There we go. So, um, first question, Andy. What happened? You know, 36 years ago, there we were drinking mucky beer before our um, uh, passing out parade. And uh, now look what's happened. You're chief constable and everything. How, how, how did that happen? Well, it wasn't through design, Brendan, I've got to say. I mean, uh, I joined the police because I wanted to be a police officer. Uh, I, all, my only ambition when I joined was to be a detective. Um. And I loved what I was doing when I joined. I did three and a half years as a uniform constable, then I did six and a bit years as a detective constable before I went for a promotion, before I got promoted. Mm-hmm. So it was actually 10 years doing a job I absolutely loved and I had no incentive to get promoted until then, when I just thought, I think the time's right now. 
and then from there I got rapidly promoted through the ranks and ended up where I am as the chief of Mersey said. Wow and uh, 36 years of service as well that's awesome I mean I, I managed 28 before I decided you know <laughs> that's it time to hang, hang the handcuffs up now. Um, 36 years um, uh, we were just talking before you we were I reckon you're probably the last man standing, last person, last officer standing, I should say, in that class photograph there. Um, I think everyone else has uh, moved on. I think so. I mean, another person in our class was Jerry Graham, who was chief of Cumbria. Uh, he's the last one, I think, from our group who I knew was still there. So mm-hmm. it, I probably am the last last person standing, as you say. I know. I've got Excuse me, folks. You know. <laughs> That's terrible, that, isn't it? So I've got a load of questions for you this evening, uh, a lot of questions that people have sent in, so awesome that you sent those questions in, folks, ahead of time. Um, uh, let's let's kick off with some of them now. So uh, taking you all the way back to actually pre-36 years, um, what inspired you to join the police? I didn't know anybody in the police at the time. None of my family were in the police, but since I was about six or seven years old, Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a police officer. Um, I think for a lot of people, police is vocational. I think for me, certainly it was. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. So I went through school, I wanted to be a police officer. Uh, when I was uh, 18, I wanted to join the police. The police careers officer said, go to university because you can do it and it's a good thing to do. Uh, went to university, didn't regret doing that and joined about two weeks after leaving university. Um back in 1985. Wow, and that was, it was always going to be? Always going to be. I think probably influenced by television programmes at the time, like the Sweeney and similar things, <laughs> as we all were. Um, but, yeah, yeah never, any, never, any, never any choice for me what I was going to do. Yeah, episodes of The Bill as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, The Bill. If any of you are watching this thinking, The Bill, what's that? <laughs> See if you can find some back episodes on YouTube. It's a awesome watch. They, they, they had a forever stream of officers, didn't they? There's just a... Unlimited number of officers and the talking absolutely the talking brooch was just silent most of the time. Just one job one job an episode, that was it. And everything was solved in half an hour. That was it, awesome. <laughs> just like the Sweeney, just like the Sweeney. <laughs> um and actually there's a lot of people kind of wrestle with this, especially potential recruits thinking, um, I've got to come up with some fancy answer if I'm asked the question, why do you want to be a police officer? I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You know, fancy answer or just speak from the heart. No, I think I think in any sort of interview situation, you can see through falseness. If you're a decent interviewer, you've got to be yourself. I mean, if it's something that you decided you wanted to do 12 months ago, then say that. You don't have to say it's a lifelong ambition. Uh, the main thing is what you're going to do when you are a police officer, and that's obviously helping people, doing the right thing for communities. That's all very important. But no, any interview situation, be yourself. Don't try and be something you're not. There you go. You heard it there, folks. One of the things I talk about to uh, potential recruits and people in service as well as, you know, don't go to the interview and suddenly become someone else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll be talking to them and they're full of enthusiasm and passion and there's some spirit in them and you can feel that there's something in the heart. And then you practice an interview question with them and they go, "Uh, in my role as such and such a thing, uh, blah, 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 calmly and professionally, uh, treated them with respect. And you just think, hang on a minute, where where did that person go? (laughs) You're right. You must have come across that a lot because I can imagine you've... Well, you do come across it a lot. You you come across all the management speak and people who think using big words is clever. The real 
intelligence is in making things as simple as possible for the people you're speaking to, uh, not making things as complicated. And it's the same running an organisation like policing. Yeah. The simpler you can keep it for the staff, the better response you'll get. When you try to overcomplicate it with fancy strategies and processes and using unintelligible words, it drives me around the twist. It really does. So keep it as simple as you can. Get your message across. Speak to the audience you're speaking to. That's what it's all about. Well, we'll talk about more about that later because there's a, another role you're going into where you might have some influence there. But uh, let's keep it. Um, uh, the other questions that have been asked. Oh, here's one. So, you know, flying up the ranks there that you talked about. Um, and I've got to say, do you know, I'm kind of with you on this. I, I loved being a PC. Actually, I, you know, I stopped at Inspector. I looked above and just thought, do you know, I don't think I'd like that. You know, it's no. not for everyone, is it? You know, just it isn't, no, not at all. isn't for everyone. And I think that's one of the things that you realise once you're in the police is that, you know, for every person, they have some worth and value, no matter what rank, no matter what position. Absolutely. Team. Um, but, you know, there's a favourite rank. And I was just wondering what your favourite rank was. Um, was it PC or – actually, no, I'm going to make it a bit harder for you. Beyond PC, what was your favourite rank and why? Beyond PC, firstly, Detective Inspector. I was Detective Inspector in the Major Crime Unit, which was the covert unit at the time, so it was all about covert surveillance, using all the the sneaky-beaky tactics we can use, undercover working, uh, leading a really dedicated team who were targeting the biggest criminals in the northwest and the country at the time, some really big names. Uh, leading those teams was absolutely fantastic, and for job satisfaction, there's no better, no better job that I've ever had. So probably DI would be my favourite rank. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've enjoyed every rank I've been in. There's been high points in every rank I've been in, but that was just that and being a constable and detective constable for me, two best ranks. Yeah, I think that was the thing I liked about being an inspector. Once I'd worked out that. Actually, I kind of like this. Yeah. Um, and especially, I think, that what you're talking about there, I think, is, is about finding your element. I don't know if you ever heard any of um, Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talks. Um, where Well worth watching. Uh, he's passed yeah. away, bless his soul. Awesome educationalist. But he talked in some of his TED Talks about finding your element, you know, finding the thing that gives you joy and fulfillment in your career. And if you can do that, and then people are going to say things like, oh, he's in his element. Oh, wow. What she's doing at the moment. She's in their element. I was Absolutely. thinking that's the best place to be. And <clears throat> excuse me, I hit, I hit neighbourhood inspector and just thought, this is it. I've been in three forces, uh, done all sorts of different roles. And neighbourhood inspector, I thought, this, this is it for me. I'll, I'll stick this one out because this is my element. And I think once you find that point, you know, you can either stick with it or, um, as you did, you, you yeah. moved on, moved on. So was it all in Merseyside, all of your service in Merseyside? No, no, uh, most in Merseyside, 31 of those years in Merseyside. I was an assistant chief constable in Lancashire for four years, which, again, great force, loved working there, some really good people, uh, mm. but then I came home after that to my home force, and there's nothing better. Your, your heart's in, I remember that from 36 years ago, your, your heart's in Merseyside, your heart's in Liverpool, I remember. Absolutely, it'll never leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think my heart was quite in Cheshire. I think I quite liked it. <laughs> I can never say my heart was there. Um, but I do remember a rather unusual interview to get into Greater Manchester, having been in Cheshire and Bermuda. 
where um, I won't say his name, but he was uh, sort of banging his fist on the table saying, you're just treating the police service to suit your own personal needs, swanning around from force to force. That's got to stop here. And, and it kind of did. I stuck with GMP until uh, retirement. Um, awesome stuff. So um, I think you've, uh, I was going to say, what role did you love the most? But I think you just alluded to that. So um, now you're the chief. What's that like? What's it like being the chief constable of a force? Um, <laughs> You get you get phone calls. You get phone calls all the time. Yeah, the phone doesn't stop. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what's it like being the chief? You know, it's it's a great honour. It's a great pride in leading what is a fantastic police force in my ho- own hometown. Mm. Uh, and that is an absolutely fantastic feeling. Uh, the mechanics of being a chief, a lot of politics. Um, it can be lonely. Because the book does stop, mm-hmm. absolutely stops there. Um, you're responsible for if it goes wrong or if it goes right. Um, you've got to take the brickbats as well as the as the plaudits that go with it. Uh, between ourselves, it's the least enjoyable role of done in all of policing, wow. uh, because mm-hmm. it is eighty percent politics, twenty percent policing. I really value the policing bits. I enjoy leading the force. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but. I think once you lose that operational hands-on or ability to be hands-on, you do become a different person. And it's, you know, you did, did talk about direct entry. <coughs> I don't agree with direct entry full stop, and no matter whether it's direct entry detectives, direct entry into, into inspector or superintendent, or direct entry into being a, a chief or a, a chief officer. What I would say is um, it's probably best suited to the chief officer level, then it is more to an inspector or superintendent level um, because a lot of the stuff you're doing is you run an organisation, so you need organisational skills as well as anything else, as well as those policing skills. Um, so, yeah, look, it's a great job. It's a great job. Uh, it's I'm sure people expect it's a difficult job. I get well remunerated for it. Uh, I, don't, I don't deny that. But as I say, probably for job satisfaction, I live on the glories of other people. I live on the glories of what the staff are doing and the fantastic work they do on a daily basis. And that's where I get my buzz from these days. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever, that's really interesting. Do you ever get the moment where you sort of look out the window and think, wish I could be out there? Well, I do. So thankfully as well, I can still do that when I want. So I still go on patrol with the staff. I still get out as often as I can. Great fun for me, probably less fun for them, let's be honest about it. No one wants the chief sat in the car next to them or walking on the street with them. Um, but after a while, they get to relax and enjoy it a bit more. So I still do it as much as I can. Awesome, awesome. I think that might have been one of the reasons why I stopped it in Spetch. I could never have got to chief officer. I realised when I was a staff officer that I, I, was, I was thinking, I don't even know why you picked me as a staff officer. I'm completely disorganised. I could never do this. Um, <laughs> stopped the inspector, but that, that's the thing I, I loved about inspector is that you can actually turn up to jobs and you, the team's not going to be like, what's he doing here? What's he? Yeah. A little bit of that, but you, you're still close enough to the, the I was going to say the action because that's the bit that's the bit I loved, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, and, and as, as an inspector as well, I mean, quite often the staff want to see you there. Yeah. Because they I mean, like to see inspectors <laughs> are on the front foot who are supporting the frontline officers. Absolutely what you need. Yeah, and at times, sometimes the sergeants need a little bit of reassurance that they're, they're doing the right thing. And 
I, I, I got to say, I love that rank. I loved it. Yeah. Nobody expected because I was a sheriff, not quite the same, but I was a sheriff of my patch. And uh, if you're going to commit crime on my patch, then you're going to you're going to feel the wrath of five o'clock in the morning. The, you know, the most awesome sound in the uh, awesome sound in the world. Doors being peeled off by the tactical aid units at five in the morning. Just absolutely beautiful, right. Beautiful and bringing someone to account like that, and just little things like seeing a, seeing a. Um, a curtain twitch and someone just stick the thumb up and you just think that's made my that's made my year that yeah just awesome moments awesome great well, listen, let's, I've got a load of other questions but let's have a look at some of the ones that uh, are being asked here actually um, Dean is saying um, what would you do if you're in this situation you just come out your probation you've got an opportunity to go fast track but you know there's lots of opportunity elsewhere within policing or do you rise could you rise a through the ranks too quick or would you explore all the options available in the first instance? I think we covered that a little bit already, but I know what I'd do, but your thoughts on that, Andy? I'm, I'm actually in favour of Fast Track. We've had some great officers through Fast Track before. Some people do move on quicker than others. Some people are suited to it. Um, look at all your options. Look at what the situation is. Look at what you enjoy. If you really enjoy doing what you're doing, and you want to keep doing it for a while longer, like I did. I mean, I did it for nearly 10 years as a constable. Uh, keep doing it. There's no rush. It's, it's not a race. I mean, some people get into this terrible promotion race where the only thing important about getting promoted is it's nothing to do with that. The important thing is the job satisfaction you can get from doing the job you do. If you think you can get that as a sergeant or as an inspector, just as much as you can as a constable at this stage of your career, then go for it if you want to. Um, as long as you've got the right people working around you, you can gain that credibility in those ranks just as much as you can as a constable. Being a constable for so long for me has stood me in good stead as a senior officer because I've got a bit of credibility with the staff. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done the hard yards for some time. I've not just done two years, then two years as a sergeant, two years as an inspector. Uh, and that's helped me. But different people do it different ways. And I've seen really good senior officers who've done it both ways. Yeah, and I think the service needs that kind of mix, really, doesn't it? Because it some does. people are best suited to the more senior ranks, as you alluded yeah. to before, that, they, that the service needs people with those sort of strategic skills, those organisational skills, uh, the skills to be able to um, see through the fog of complex uh, situations involving partner agencies. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the service needs people like that. But I, I think I'm kind of with you on this, though, that, you know, having that experience of being a constable is so precious. Um, it, it's such a precious thing. And I, I, if if I'd gone in some kind of direct entry and just spent sort of six months going from unit to unit um, as a constable and then very quickly promoted to sergeant, and uh, it would have been too much of a whirlwind. And I don't think I would have had the same sense of fulfilment. And I think that's a, you know, that's a word I like to use a lot, is that yeah. where's the fulfilment in your career? Yeah, not just about success. Um, I always think that a, a, a successful career without fulfilment is one that's empty. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. So focus on that fulfilment, folks. Um, no matter whatever ha- whatever happens, because one day you're going to be in a position like me where you've that's it. You can't walk in the police station anymore. You've not got a warrant card, and actually, not quite for yourself, Andy. But um, we'll come to that soon. Come to that soon. Uh, so I hope that's answered the question for you, Dean. Uh, Gary's saying good evening to you both. Good evening, Gary. Good evening. And Sophie's saying I love the bill. <laughs> Sophie, that's awesome. Um, 
you must be watching back episodes because I know you, Sophie. You're not not old enough to see the originals. Um, Jessica's asking a question: What do you love most about working for Merseyside? All right, and what did you find the biggest challenge? So we'll just do working working for Merseyside. I mean, it's a well, why why go back from Lancashire to Merseyside? Why not go to another force? Uh, well, first go to my hometown force, so it means something. Working there means something to me because it's where I was born, where I was brought up. Uh, and I know I know the city, I know the region, and it's it's a fantastic region. And Merseyside's a force. You would expect me to say this, but genuinely believe it. It's a fantastic police force. Uh, it's the highest graded metropolitan force in the country, according to HMIC. Uh, it sits in the top three or four forces right across the country. And when you're comparing that with some of the more rural forces and the challenges in Merseyside, the high levels of deprivation, Merseyside police officers do a fantastic job, as do Merseyside police staff on a daily basis. Uh, and I couldn't be proud of them to be the chief of it. And we are the type of force we are. We are a modern force with traditional values. So one of the few forces in the country still with the white shirts. We don't allow ta- physical tattoos. We don't allow uh, big Abraham Lincoln beards. We look smart because that first impression makes a big difference to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look professional, most people would treat it as professional. Um, we still st- that staff still stand up for senior officers when they walk in the room. So some people would say that is just really old-fashioned. It's not. We have discipline. We have our traditions. Uh, we work as one team, and we're very successful. We're one of the highest detection rates in the country for the police force. Uh, you name it, outstanding for serious and organised crime. Um, it's a good force. Lancashire was a really good force as well, but considering the challenges Merseyside Police has as a, a metropolitan force with some real challenges, um, it does an outstanding job every day. So that's why I'm so proud of Merseyside. That's awesome, man. Awesome. And I kind of like some of those traditional values that, uh, some people might be watching this thinking, oh, it's just their age. I mean, listen to them go on. But th- there is something about those values um, of just, you know, a-, a-, a salute for the person in the rank that's higher than yours. I mean, I've done that as a sergeant to an inspector years ago, and he, he didn't have a clue what to do back. Just, um, <laughs> just, just like, what, 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 what do I do? <laughs> just, you salute back. So, um and uh, have you still got those uh, nightsticks as well? Yeah, sergeants and above have big long nightsticks that they carry. Uh, that goes back a long, a long time. That, that those nightsticks, the only force in the country now to to still give them out, um, and the staff are very proud of them. Very yeah. proud of them. It, a- it, it sets them apart. And you know, when you say about the age there, Brendan, about you know, it, people might say this because we're old. We mm. surveyed the staff. We surveyed them to see if he wants to go to a sort of unisex uniform. Mm-hmm. We surveyed them to see if he wants to go to a different sort of, you know, like the tops and stuff. Yeah. The vast majority of staff said, no, we like female officers. I want to keep my cravat, my bowler hat, thanks. Male officers want to keep my custodian helmet uh, and we want to keep our white shirts and black ties. The only downside is you've got around five shirts a week. <laughs> uh, I t- <laughs> But then again, I, I do remember that being a distinct advantage when GMP went to their sort of black black shirts. And but um, my good wife did say, "Do you know it looks like you're wearing pajamas?" I mean, really, just. Uh, and I said, "Well, it's awesome. I don't have to iron anymore." Just, but she said, "Yeah, but look, look at you. Just, just look at you compared to what you used to look like." Um, yeah. 
So there's a, yeah, and certainly, um, you know, advise, advise some of the new recruits as well. Whatever you do, don't start hanging, hanging things off your body arm with carabiners and stuff like that. Just, you know, look the part because yeah. there's something there about when you walk into an incident where you stand tall, look the part, and especially as if you're part of a team that all look like that, that's half the battle won, I think, sometimes. I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, people react to how you look and how you act and how you how you start off that initial meeting. Yeah. And if you're professional and how you do it, if you look smart, it makes a difference on an awful lot of people. Right. Awesome. Well, let's see what else we've got then. So um, here is a answer, a question here from Claire, which is a good one. As a current student at Mather Avenue, uh, what advice do you have for someone new in service who has aspirations to be promoted? I think we kind of covered that a little bit, but um, I suppose if we could swing that question around to, for those who are new in service, what, what advice would you give them? If you could turn the clock back and go all the way back to when you had, actually in that photograph where we were, back at Bruce District Training Centre, um, what advice would you give your younger self? I think be confident of your own abilities. Don't place yourself outside your community. You're part of your community. Mm-hmm. You're a public servant. Be proud to be a public servant. Um, you're there to help people. It's great to be. I mean, look, I, I, I love I love being a thief taker. I love locking people up, but it's equally as important to treat your victims and your witnesses with compassion and care. You've got to show the community that you care as a young police Mm. officer. It's really important, and you can do that in thousands of different ways. I always say to our new staff, when you're walking down the street or when you get out in the car and you see a member of the public, say hello. Always say hello. Always initiate a conversation, even if it's only a 10-second one, because they'll tell 20 other people that you've said hello, and it shows people that you're part of the community and you're not just a uniform, but you're a person. And it works. Um, best, Best advice I can give, I think is you don't have to be Superman or Superwoman. As long as you're trying your best, as long as you're dedicated and committed, as long as you're enthusiastic and you have the right mentality and the right mindset, you can do what you want simply and genuinely you can do what you want. People always want to see enthusiastic, committed people who are trying their best. And, you know, some people who, some people are just luckier than others in relation to some of the skills they have. But I'll always look to promote, stroke, uh, laterally develop people who try really hard, even if I think they might be 95% of the, of the other person, but they're always doing the best. That's what you want in people. You want that commitment. You want that zeal and enthusiasm. And that's what makes a good police officer for me. Yeah, I love that. Uh, sort of um, uh, giving 120% without being asked to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, my my old sergeant in 1986, when I first landed in Runcorn, gave me similar advice. And he actually, what he said, uh, I carry this with me and I pass this message on is that builds on what you just said there is that sort of com- kindness and compassion. He said he, he, he wants to see every person I arrest say thank you to me. Yeah. Not not for the charge sheet, but for the way they've been treated. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I try, and, I try and get a message over that no matter what they've done, to you or someone else. I, don't, I mean, we go all the way back to 1829 and Sir Robert Peel talking about offering the hand of friendship to others. He didn't say it except for those who commit acts of domestic violence, except for those who, you know, that's a police officer's role. And I've taken that with me all the way through my career and I think it's served me well, is that um, 
demonstrating an act of kindness or an act of compassion to, especially to suspects. You know, you mentioned victims and witnesses, but yep. because how we treat those people who we incarcerate, even for the smallest amount of time, I think makes so much difference. So much difference. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps. Uh, oh, I can't, we're scrolled up now. Um, just, just, just on that point, Brendan. Uh, I mean, yeah. if you watch a good detective, if you watch a good Jack dealing with a prisoner. Mm. Those who get the best results are those who know how to talk, those who are uh, able to initiate conversation, those who actually treat the people they're dealing with with consideration. Yeah. They're the detectives who get the results at the end of the day. And, you know, I've had, I was lucky, and this is not, and I'm fantastic. I can remember a number of solicitors when I was a DC and a DS who would say to me at the end of the interview, that was really good there, because he wasn't going to say anything. And look what he said to you now. Yeah. And they were charged at the end of the day. So that communication, that, that bit of compassion, that consideration goes a long way. And ultimately, that means that it might mean a victim doesn't have to relive the whole thing in court. Absolutely right. So important. You know, so, so important. Why do we treat people with respect for several reasons? One, it's what we're there to do. <laughs> Two, we get a good result. And three, I'm not sure if a lot of officers think about this, but certainly it really struck me this in neighbourhood policing, how... Uh, covert human intelligence sources uh, do not come in the form of Mrs. Miggins at 48 Acacia Avenue as curtain switch. Absolutely, yeah. And how you treat people who you deal with in in that part of society, well, you know, you never know what, I'm not going to go into that that world too much, but you never know what's going to happen in terms of um, the quality of your covert human intelligence sources. Probably best if we just leave it at that. <laughs> what other questions we got then? So um, I'm kind of re- reading the name and then saying, here's a question from Joe without actually reading the question. So who knows what it could say? Uh, actually, here's something here. Actually, here's a, someone, uh, I, I quite like it when people uh, challenge away here. You know, Joe's saying, um, he highlighted to you that serious corruption exists within Merseyside Police and you denied corruption existed within the force, willfully ignored some issues, Senior, uh, actually, we're not, I'm not going to mention those names there. And um, but actually, there's there's something there about. So, do you still believe there's absolutely no corruption within the force? I think that's a really interesting question for wider than just Merseyside Police. You know, uh, can we ever stamp out corruption within the service? It's corruption in every part of public life. Simple mm. as that. Um, we have really good anti-corruption units who root out those officers or staff who are corrupt. And we don't hide it. We wash our dirty linen in public. Mm -hmm. So when we identify it, when it's reported to us, it's investigated. And regularly we'll see in the papers, thankfully not too regularly, about officers or staff being sacked and on occasion going to prison. Yeah. Because policing reflects society and there's corruption in society and corruption in policing. The vast majority of police officers and police staff are good people. There's a small number who seek to do it for their own gain, uh, and thankfully we managed to catch them, uh, the vast majority of them. Uh, but it'd be a fool who denied there was no corruption in policing. Yeah, I think um, I think I agree with you there. Um, sure, sure, I think one of the toughest toughest things I've done in my career is when I've challenged mm. that kind of corruption, because um, not at a, a, a massive level, but I always think that you know this, the standard that you... It's a bit of a cliche, but the standard that you're prepared to accept is the standard you become. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And it was a different different place and world when we joined as well, Brian, that is now. Yeah. Um, you know, you were, as you can imagine, you, you, you weren't flavour of the month with the team uh, for highlighting something that was actually you know, more than inappropriate misconduct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, I wonder to what extent you'd share this message that, you know, if you believe that someone is doing something that's not right. I once said that, you know, people who do small wrong things often do big wrong things as well. Um, you know, be, stand, stand up for what you believe to be right. And I think in today's police service, you will absolutely get that support. Got to be honest, in the 80s and 90s, I wasn't feeling the support. But now... Yeah, it was more difficult. It was more really difficult. Solid <laughs> officers and really solid sergeants and inspectors who will back you absolutely to the hilt for doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree with you. I fully agree with that. Yeah. Awesome. So let's uh, have a look at some of the questions then. So uh, we're not going to get them all, I'm afraid. Um, let's just see what else we've got. Here's an interesting one from Sophie. What's, this, <laughs> what's the strangest situation that you can tell us about, in brackets, that you've found yourself in? Oh, a strange situation. There'll be a lot of those, won't there? <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I can tell you. Uh, <laughs> one that's, I'm mean, sure they're all legal, but ones that you just think, hang on a minute, it could be children watching this. or Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to pass on that one, Brandon, if I may, um, because all the things that are coming to me at the moment are all <laughs> pretty rude things that you just go when you've been, when you've been doing various searches and everything else. So I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to pass yeah, on that uh, one. I think... Um, I'm going to jog your memory about something strange that happened there whilst we were back in, back in 1985. Go on. Um, I do seem to remember having a conversation with you, and it's one that I uh, was, was mirrored with my own personal experience. And it, might, it may help those some people who are thinking, do you know this is tough? My first two years is tough. And I've got one or two people saying, you're not going to make it. Well, I can remember there was a certain soldier, uh, sergeant who told me I'd never make a police officer as long as as I had a hole up somewhere. Um, and I, I do seem to remember that certain sergeant saying something very strange to you as well and predicting your future. He did. He did. I mean, without mentioning names in relation to who he was or where he was from. He was a training sergeant at the time. He should have never been allowed anywhere near training. Uh, and he was pretty unpleasant, wasn't he, Brendan? Um, but some of the things he said were quite outrageous. Yeah. Quite outrageous. Um I mean, I didn't have the greatest time in trading at Bruch. I, I pushed up against authority a couple of times when I was there. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, it all worked out well for, for Brenda, myself, and the vast majority of people who went through it. Uh, but thankfully, the way trading's done these days is a lot more um, focused in on getting the best out of people as opposed to demeaning people, and that's how training should be. Yeah, I think uh, that's the experience that a lot of people tell me about, just to reassure everyone there. I just wanted to sort of highlight that, perhaps reassure people who may be struggling, thinking, can I hack this? Um, well, you know, I went to uh, Runcorn in January 1986, thinking I'll last a couple of weeks. Mm. It's, it's been predicted. It's on, my, it's on my report. And I can remember the superintendent when he, he called me up to his office, reading it and thinking... I'm not going to take any notice of this. He tore it up, stuck it, and stuck it in the round file, and said, "I'm going to judge you by how you are, 
on my division as a police officer and this is your fresh start. And I think that's what sort of booked things up for me and a little bit. So sure. if someone's feeling a little bit down about their initial training and feeling like they'll never get through it or, you know, there may still be one or two people in a service who are going to try and put you down. I don't think there'd be many anymore compared to all those years ago, but stick with your beliefs, folks. You know, if this is your absolute belief that this is the calling for you, then it is and make make it make it that funny old thing isn't it i won't talk about karma but it certainly worked out okay first didn't it it did work out in the end yeah we won't say how no uh, but it did work out in the end so um i suppose that's part of the journey part of the journey of policing part of the journey of policing finding out who you are and it sounds a bit deep that but help me find out who i was yeah um uh, so linking in with recruitment type questions then so I mean, you won't be doing the interviewing for initial recruits, um, but interviews do take place. And But if you were to do the interviews tomorrow, I mean, you could do that, couldn't you? You're the chief. You could just say, do you know, I'm going to go in and just go, is, is there any interviews going on? Yep, right, I'm going to go and do them. And you'll probably have someone saying, have you done the course, sir? Have you done that? Absolutely, yeah. You're not trained. <laughs> You're not trained. <laughs> You're not trained. Are you qualified to do this, sir? If you, you run me a recruit interview course, and you say, well, um, do I need to? Yes, you, well, I'm just, I'm the chief. Look, give me this. I'm, I'm, I'm going soon. So um, if you were doing the interviewing tomorrow, I mean, one a bit a massive shock to whoever gets interviewed, wouldn't it? So when you introduce yourself. Um, but what, what qualities would you look for in that candidate? The ideal candidate, the one that you think is going to be able to take Merseyside place through the next decade and do all the things that you mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no science in it at all. Quite simply, I want someone who's got good common sense. I want someone who's enthusiastic. I want someone who's prepared to have that public service ethos, that public service mindset. I want people who can work as a team. Uh, I want people who want to go home at the end of the day, think back on what they've done that day and be proud of themselves. Um, if you're driving home in your car, you're on the bus or the train or whatever, and you can think of one or two things you've done that's made improve someone's life for the better in that community. That's all I want from people. As mm. I said, I'm not looking for Superman or Superwoman. I'm not looking for the most intelligent person in the world. If they are fantastic, I'm looking for someone who's prepared to do the best each and every day, who doesn't lose that motivation, who's got a good understanding of, of community, who is prepared to accept diversity and diverse communities? Uh, that's all I'm looking for. It's not. It's not. I mean, you can you can have all the CVFs and everything else that you want. At the end of the day, being a good police officer is all that plus being inquisitive for the right reasons. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, I, I hope I've not planted an idea of a, a seed of an idea there. Uh, for you, <laughs> tomorrow you're going to turn up and go. I'm going to interview a few candidates. Uh, it'd be unfair. It would be unfair, Brendan. I couldn't. It, would be, it actually would be very unfair, wouldn't it? It would be very unfair. Um, right. So, if these are the people that we are um, taking on now, these are the people we're looking for. It's a tough one. This. It's like you know, what's the future going to be like? I mean, we haven't got a clue ever what this time next year is going to be like. But what what sort of skills do you feel? Um, uh, that those who join today are going to need to focus on in order to be able to cope with the 
that uh, we, don't, we don't even know what the challenges are, do we? But yeah. being able to cope with that challenge of not even knowing what the challenges are. Okay. I mean, I think, look, there's the reality of, of society at the moment is it's changing at such a pace. I mean, we are it, it, what, what I would call the fourth industrial revolution. Technology is moving so quickly. Policing as a whole, the government as a whole, the intelligence community as a whole, we need to be resourcing it to be able to, to combat criminals. Mm. Uh, and there's certainly going to be more and more of that cyber-type approach. But it doesn't mean that your burglaries, your robberies, your missing from homes, your uh, used cause and annoyance are going to go away. Mm-hmm. So we need to be adaptable. We need to be able to do both. I still want police officers who are quite happy on a Friday night to go into a pub where there's a fight and sort it out. I don't want a whole army of police officers who are really tech-savvy, but that's mm-hmm. all they can do. So like any workforce and like our community, such a diverse community, we need a diverse police service. We need a diverse police force with different skills to deal with different issues. So we will employ more people who are cyber savvy and who have good tech technical ability. Whether they'll all be police officers or police officers and police staff, that would be a mixed economy of no doubt. Mm-hmm. But that traditional policing doesn't go away. You need common sense, you need discretion, you need to understand your communities, you need to be able to speak to people. Those skills will still be the skills a police officer needs in 30, 40, 50 years. It doesn't matter how many handheld devices we have and how much we can do on it. This your mouth and how you use it is the most important thing a police officer has for good or evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm liking that. Um, and I'm going to add to that if I can as well, being able to use these. Yeah, just yeah. as important. You're quite right. It's important. And uh, honing those skills throughout your career to be able to listen to the nuance in people's voices or to just see that, that change of expression and at that moment to be able to say the right thing. Yeah, going to let them know that you've heard them, that you understand them, um, and that takes time. That Absolutely. Takes time. So, among all the change, I suppose that there's a there's the opportunity for people who aren't. Some people may be thinking, "I'm never going to be cyber savvy. I'm never going to be someone who can interrogate someone's Facebook or whatever it might be." But uh, I think there's something there about the police service being able to being so representative that there's room for everyone. Still, there's room Absolutely. for everyone. Absolutely uh, right. Room for everyone still. Awesome. Um, all right. So let's just see. Um, actually, uh, here's an interesting question from Alexandra, who's asking, uh, there's been some criticism of disproportionate targeting of black people and stop searches in Merseyside Police. Um, and that's certainly a, a subject that's alive and kicking in in the Metropolitan Police as well and, and in other forces. Um so what's your opinion on that? And thank you in advance. Yeah, we can't get away from the fact there's disproportionality right across the country in relation to stop search and in relation to use of force. Now, I mean, it, it is less so in Merseyside than most other forces, any other metropolitan forces, but that doesn't make it any better. We need to go underneath that and identify why that problem is there. I don't want to see any discrimination against any part of our community. I want everyone to be treated fairly and equally. And particularly for young black men, we are still, stop searching them at a disproportionate rate. Now, 
There are many reasons for that. There are many reasons that sit behind that in relation to deprivation issues, in relation to uh, those same young black men are more likely to be victims than, than young white men of the same age. Um, there is more issues around weapons being carried in certain communities, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, if we if we do have that disproportionality, we need to be able to explain it better to all our communities. Mm. So I had a big community meeting last Thursday with our local black MP and a large member of community activists uh, from the Toxteth and Wavertree areas, predominantly of, of, of Merseyside, talking through these very issues. And the only way we're going to solve it is not by more action plans, but by working closer with our communities. Mm. We need their advice to help us. We need them to work alongside us in doing it. And to do that, we need to maintain good relationships throughout. And it won't always be the happiest of relationships because it never is with any community because we've got to do things to keep people safe, like stop search, like use of taser, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there are always going to be rubbing, rub points. But at the end of the day, you've got to keep persisting. You've got to have build up that level of trust uh, right across your communities um, because we want more people from our black and Asian minority ethnic communities to join the police uh, because, again, we are significantly underrepresented, particularly for young black males. So we need to work harder. We need to change our approach. We need to keep working at it. There's a lot of good ideas out there. But the only way we're going to crack it is when we get community support and people encourage people from black and Asian minority ethnic communities to join the police. So a lot of work going on. Are we there yet? No, we're not. We've got more work to do. People will also quite rightly say, well, old Don McPherson was how many years ago? And you're still not where you need to be. Society is not where it needs to be, not just policing, but policing needs to try harder to get it right. Yes, but there's something there then about um, those skills we talked about that officers have. That, that They're hard to measure as well, aren't they? You know, they're, they are. They're hard to measure. Um, and actually, if I can link that to your future role, um, so congratulations on uh, achieving a position as an uh, inspector for Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, Fire and Rescue Service. That's a big mouthful now. It is. Um, so I, I always equate HMIC um, with targets. Um, pers- perhaps persuade me and others that that's not the case and the future for HMIC, FRS, may be more about measuring how difficult it may be to do so, but measuring exactly that thing that you just mentioned there, you know, how do you report back on and how do you encourage forces to do that right thing to take us closer to, for example, a more representative police service? Okay. Defending HMICFRS to police officers or prospective police officers will always be difficult, but I look at it as a sort of necessary evil. Mm. Yeah. We need to be able to justify that what we're doing is the best thing for our communities and there has to be some sort of measurement that sits behind that. Um, the peel inspection is that are done right across every force. Uh, again, are a bit of a necessary evil. We need to be able to measure exactly what people are doing, but it can, if you're not careful, it can become too much about counting things as opposed to looking to improve. HMIC should always be about being part of the system that looks to improve policing, not catches policing else. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be a supportive organisation. 
It's got to be an organisation that will take policing forward along with governments, along with police forces themselves, along should be with the IOPC as well. They should be very much a part of that. Mm. Um, it's got to work hand in hand with police forces. Now, HMI are doing far more thematic type approaches at the moment, um, which is a good thing. They're looking to do far more joint agency inspections and that needs to happen because, as we all know, those who are in policing or those who wish to join policing, a lot of the issues can't be solved just by improving the policing element of it. There's elements around social service, criminal justice, etc., etc. So joining that together is really important. So it's difficult. Um, HMIC should be a credible organisation that makes a difference. And I will jump to its defence on a number of occasions in relation to that. Um, around domestic abuse, HMIC has made a massive difference for policing, a massive difference because of the drive that they had to improve the way that we dealt with it. And those sort of things get forgotten when you look at um, the, the general sort of daily work the HMIC do. Bear in mind, a lot of the people working at HMIC are ex-police officers, or seconded police officers, they're not there to catch people out. They're there to improve policing. Now, if we can promote that ethos, this is all about improving policing, about working together, HMIC, FRS would be a better place. And that's where I want to get it to. So is there, is there a greater scope there to work with other inspectorates? Because certainly, you know, my experience in neighbourhood policing taught me that, you know, you can dismantle as many organised crime syndicates mm. as you want. You know, because a lot of people, I think, think neighbourhood policing is about cosy cups of tea. You know, it's got a very hard edge to it. I think I probably yes. signed up about 450 search warrants in my seven years as a neighbourhood inspector, possibly more, who knows. Um, but that gap that's left when we remove the illegitimate source of leadership within the community can easily be filled by more illegitimate sources of leadership unless we've got a strong, cohesive community Correct. Which needs the investment, um, from my perspective, of people who are prepared to invest years in enabling and building communities and, and seeing the police less as public servants and more as citizen enablers. But then faced with an inspectorate that's about fire and police, and then there's we've got our silos built into our system that kind of prevent that work um, taking place, if that's making sense. So... How are we going to get past that then? How are we going to get past that? This is where the joint inspection is really important because you're right. I mean, there's no point taking out a load of serious organised criminals, leaving a void behind. It gets filled by someone else and the, and the community life doesn't improve for those residents there. The best piece of work I've seen in policing have been where we've done both at the same time. So we've built up the community through supportive neighbourhood policing, through neighbourhood police officers being seen as taking local people out as part of it, the local badens out as part of it but also having that social support coming in, that charity support coming in, and getting the most important part is getting residents to start doing things themselves, to get residents involved in making it better, making the, the, the area better. And that's where we've seen some real long-term gains in policing. Similarly with any inspectorate, if you just look at the police's response, you are missing a massive trick, mm -hmm. which is why it should be a far wider inspector's approach around community as opposed to around policing. 
that is harder to do. It's harder to get different government departments to work together. But we're seeing more and more often now that we're getting criminal justice working together. We need education working together and, and, and Ofsted working with, with um, the inspectorate too because a lot of the issues that we're seeing in relation to county lines and criminality and grooming kids through into crime, a lot of those issues can be solved by education, not by policing. So those sorts of joint approaches are worth the weight in gold. And that's hopefully somewhere I can get HMIC to. I think you've got a big, big challenge there. It is uh, a big challenge. Yeah. It's like challenges. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, but I'm liking that sense of direction. Um, you know, if I ha- I'm going to throw something in here as well and see, see what you think, because I don't think this is necessarily a new idea. I just wonder if we've had mission, mission drift for a couple of centuries, um, because Sir Robert Peel talked about the police of the public and the public of the police. Yep. I'm not going to test you here, but the, the next part is something that a lot of people don't know, that the, public, uh, the police of the public, the public of the police, the police just being members of the public who are paid full-time to carry out a role which is incumbent on all citizens in the interests of, and here's a bit I keep, uh, my, my, those people who are in my Facebook group and such like will hear me say this all the time, but he didn't say in the interest of catching the bad guys, he didn't say in the interest of reducing crime, he didn't say in the interest of community safety, he said in the interest of community welfare and existence. And I think there's a lot there, and I just wonder if that's a, that could be, I don't know, if, if that seed's not already there for the inspectorate to yeah. look at that sense of what, you know, if we ask that question, what what have you done over the past year to encourage that that yep. level of community welfare and existence that's going to see off the organised criminality or never let it have the opportunity to plant its roots in this community? Uh, and and there's a challenge because that's tough. You know, it's tough work. It's a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge. But you're right. It's all about community safety. It's all about improving the lives of the people within our communities, in whatever way that is. Um, so I fully agree with you, Brendan. Uh, if we could get a sort of inspection regime that had that sort of aim, mm. you'd have about nine or ten different government approaches coming into it, and that would be ideal. I shall watch this space carefully as you <laughs> as you weave your way through the uh, the, the, the political... The murky politics. To, to enable that to happen, to enable that to happen. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, you could get, if you get me on that subject, I'll be, I'll be there forever. Because that, that's the thing... <laughs> That's the thing I loved about neighbourhood policing. I used to say that tackling organised criminality—that's that—that's easy in a way. We've got we've got um, we've got a policy book on how to do that. Although I'd, I've got to say I picked up some ideas from watching The Wire uh, back in the nineties. Was it early two thousands? But um, but the toughest part was that enabling and building strong community yeah. using tools like participatory budgeting and seeking out the assets in communities and asset mapping and that's tough that is that's the hardest policing i ever did i've got to say you know beyond anything else that was the most challenging Um, and i used to get actually some senior officers saying why why are you doing this because you're never going to be able to prove that your efforts have actually reduced crime Mm. because they didn't actually happen if what you're saying is true in 10 years time these young people won't be going into crime mental health issues drug and alcohol abuse there will be happy children with a happy life ahead of them. But how do we measure that? Um, so there, there's a question, I suppose, another question for HMIC to be reconciling with, or I hope it is already, is how do we measure that and do we need to measure that? 
I think I think there's always going to be too much measured and too much emphasis on quantity rather than quality. Mm. Actually, measure the, the problem you've got <clears throat> at the end of the day, without without going too sort of wide on it, is that in order to get money from a treasury, from the government treasury, you've got to be able to show results. The hardest results to show are the qualitative, qualitative results. Mm. So for any organisation to show qualitative results is difficult. So if I go into, for instance, Croxteth and say, we haven't had a shooting here for this long, look how strong the community are, look how many people are walking through the parks without fear. Fantastic. Yeah. If I go and say we've seized 35 kilos of drugs, our detection rate is 45%. That's measurable. Mm. So that's going to attract funding. And that's the problem governments have got, because governments work on four-year cycles. Yeah. So actually investing into a longer-term strategy can be really difficult. I'm glad to say the last serious and organised crime strategy that was produced is looking far further ahead than normal. And a lot, about, a lot of that is about building community resilience. So not just about seizing this and more money into, into, into pursue. It's mm-hmm. all about the prevent, protect and prepare. And there's a bit of a change in government's approach, very much around that preventative, but very much about that building that community resilience, reducing poverty, reducing reoffending, uh, which is all essential if we're actually going to make a difference in our communities at the end of the day. Yeah, it's interesting that. Um, I suppose there's another skill for future police officers to develop or uh, police officers of today to develop. Um, always have a story in your, in, in, a back, in your back pockets. You've got two back pockets. One story for those people who like all the quantitative stuff and another story in the other pocket for people who like a good story. Um, I remember one MP saying to me, I can tell there's a difference around here now because people have got their, and I measure the difference. He said, I measure the difference by, is that Paul Goggins passed away now, bless his soul. He said, but there's, um, uh, people have got like, they're putting out hanging baskets. And they wouldn't have done that last year. Um, it's great, it's great, isn't it? Similar, similar to that one, the best piece of feedback I ever got was from a councillor in Croxteth mm-hmm. where we'd had all the shootings and all the gang warfare issues. And he phoned me on a, it was a, I think it was July afternoon and said, Andy, I'm just walking through the park here and there's loads of families out enjoying themselves playing football. You wouldn't have seen this two years ago. Yeah. He said, and he said, that's success. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. So let's hold on to that. I hope in your fu- your future role as HMIC that you can, uh, and I'm sure you will, knowing you from all those years back, I'm sure you will. I will do my best. Be able to do your best around that, to do, do your best around that. Well, we're almost up. Uh, I always say that we should spend about an hour doing these because any longer people will just go. There's loads of questions that people have asked. I'm so sorry that we can't ask them all, but we're trying to get through some of them. Um, I'm going to end on this one here. And actually Nina said this. Um, what are you most proud of? I know you mentioned something there, but what what are you most proud of within your career? What's the thing that you just? I know it's tough in it. It's a tough one, you know. And I've I've been fortunate in my career because I've been able to lead really complex conspiracies and really complex investigations, and getting the results against some of the really top criminals and and seeing the teamwork that enabled that and the skill and professionalism. 
that actually got them sent down for the long time. There's some of those will always stay in mind. You know, we're talking about really top criminals here. And you never get over that sort of sense that you've, you've, you've lived this for 18 months. It's been everything you've done. It's been in your mind every day and you've got the right results. And that result means people are going to be safe. That result means that there won't be more people shot. That result means that large parts of our community who are in fear from violent thugs and criminals aren't going to be for some time as long as we carry on and do things properly. That's all, that's all fantastic. But still, uh, I've got to say the proudest... I'll pick out three very quick proudest moments. Mm. The first was when I walked out for the first time on my own as a police officer on my footbeat up in Kensington and Breck Road in Liverpool. Really tough beat. Out on my own, I just thought, this is fantastic. This is where I want to be. And I'll never forget my first day out on foot on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one um, is two or three occasions very similar where... Families um, are still in touch with me from many, many years ago from investigations of murders that I, I, I thankfully managed to solve on behalf of their families. And they still send me cars. They still send me good wishes. They still phone up to speak to me on occasions uh, many, many, many years after. Uh, that just shows the difference it makes to give closure to people who have been subject of such horrendous crimes as they had. And I'm really proud of that. Um and the third one was a really selfish one, and that was going to Buckingham Palace to get me Queen's Police Medal. Uh, and that's my selfish, proud moment, because my mum and dad, who, thank the Lord, are still with us, were so, so proud of the fact that I, I was going to meet the Queen and get a medal off her at Buckingham Palace. Um, so that's my selfish, proud moment. But, you know, for those of you who haven't joined policing yet uh, and are hoping to, to be police officers, you will have your own long list of proud moments if you do the job right. There is no other career like it. I've been privileged to be a police officer for 36 years, and it's the best job in the world. There's not one morning I've woken up in those 36 years and wished I did something else. So if you get the opportunity, don't miss it. Awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there, Andy, I don't think it's selfish at all to be proud of that moment. Um, remembering that when we swear our oath, uh, we swear it to the Queen. And, um, Absolutely. you know, we are servants of Her Majesty. And to, you know, you'll have earned that. And um, I don't think it's, it's good to be proud of something like that. Um, thank you. Be proud of something like that. So on that, Andy, can I thank you so much for joining us all for the past hour. Um, I've got to say, let's not leave it 36 years. <laughs> until the next one so once all of this covid is over i'd, I'd love to buy a pint somewhere we'll uh we'll, we'll, i'd love to we'll, Brendan. maybe down at albert dock or something like that and uh we'll come up come up to york if you're ever doing some inspectorate work up here um drop us a line that would be absolutely awesome um inspiring i'm sure Thank there's a lot of people who uh are going to be inspired by what you said this evening and um who knows, there might be another one of these in 30 years' time, 35 years' time, where there's a similar pair of re- almost retired and retired officers talking about, uh, do you remember that conversation we witnessed 35 years ago? And since then, it spurred me on to do. Who knows? Who knows? Right, folks, thank you, everyone else, for watching. If you asked any other questions, then I'm sorry we couldn't get round to them. Um, and... Uh, in case you're thinking, oh, I only got the last 20 minutes, 
Um, I will put this onto YouTube and there will be a podcast of this as well. So you'll be able to watch the replay. Andy, your gentleman. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brendan. Catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now. Cheers now. Bye-bye, everyone. So, folks, wasn't that amazing? I mean, isn't Andy inspirational? And it was so good to catch up with him after 36 years. Can you believe that? Now, I've had a little offline communication, and uh, we've promised that once all of the COVID restrictions are over and we're out of all of this, we're going to meet up and share a beer, either at the Albert Dock in Merseyside in Liverpool, or maybe on his future travels as an inspector for Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary Fire and Rescue Service, if he's ever up in the North Yorkshire area, York area. So I hope you enjoyed that. I've got more of these lined up, as well as so many ideas to share with you to help support you on your journey to have the most incredible, fulfilling and successful career as a police officer. I'll catch up with you next time. Bye-bye for now.